Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Our guest today is Fons Trompenauers. Fons is one of the world's leading thinkers in the area of cross-cultural communication and culture strategy. His work infuses experiences from his years as an executive and consultant for Shell, GM, Nike, and other global Fortune 500 companies. With his own thought leadership and research into the underlying drivers and complex variables that influence cultural understanding and strategy. The author or co-author of over 20 books Books, including the best-selling Riding the Waves of Culture, Understanding Diversity in Global Business, Fonz is known for his model of the seven dimensions of culture and other practical frameworks for creating intercultural collaboration and developing culturally aware strategies for global businesses. In this episode, Fonz will walk us through a six-step process that can be used to reconcile cultural challenges or dilemmas. He will also walk us through an example of of a strategic challenge involving a car crash to illustrate a provocative take on strategy, that maybe strategy is not about making choices, but about reconciling dilemmas. Stick around. Okay, Fonz, thank you so much for being here with us. Just to get to know you a little bit personally, complete this sentence for us. If you really knew me, you know that. I'm a great Neil Young fan because he combines great lyrics with sneering guitar play. I love it. I love it. And I dedicated a book to Neil Young. Really? I was invited as an after-show guest. God, it's amazing. Backstage. Amazing. And I was the only one, only a cameraman from Dutch television was there, and he was kicked out because he was not in the mood. I said, oh, my, I'm waiting 45 minutes. And there I gave the book, and I got <laughs> pictures of it. Great guy. I love the passion with which you approach your work and everything else in life. Let's talk a little bit about strategy. We're going to get into some of your frameworks, but let's start off with strategy. People have very different definitions of strategy. What was your definition of strategy? For me, strategy is the process in reconciling the most important business dilemmas. If you are a strategist and you don't think in dilemmas, I think you're lousy. Now, not everything is a dilemma. So a good strategist will also say, no, here we have to make a choice. But the worst you can do with a dilemma is to make a choice. Let me give you one example. A challenge could be global versus local. A good strategist would say, what can we do locally that makes the company more global? And what can we do globally to serve our local customer better, as an example? Now, if you are in the strategy of safety or security, you say, no, that's not a dilemma. We need to globalize our standards because if you are making refineries, then it doesn't matter if you're in Nigeria, Miami, or in Rotterdam, you want one standard globally. But if you are in marketing or HR and you strategize about that, you want to ask the question that I just asked, what can I do locally to make our company more global and vice versa? So strategy is really distinguishing a problem from a dilemma. And if it's a dilemma to ask the right question, namely, how can value X give me more of value Y? So you talk about creating a culture that creates the context to solve these dilemmas. 
And I think strategy is often viewed as sets of choices and you make consistent sets of choices so that this next 10 years, we are all about centralized. And the next 10 years, we're all about local. How do you approach strategy then? It's giving the reason behind you want to centralize. And it is to give more freedom for decentral activities. Take our human body. Our human body, is that centralized or decentralized? We have centralized certain functions very seriously, our brain, for example, to allow for more decentralization. So I'm not against making the choice that in the foreground it's centralization, but the reason would be for the opposite. And that is interesting because we are not educated to think in that way. Perhaps our brain is organized in such a way that we want to make choices, while the corpus callosum, the tissue between the brain halves, should be very active. And the end result is life, because suppose we centralize everything. You die because of overload. But if we decentralize everything, we don't know that our right leg is cut off. You know, So we need to interplay between opposites. And, and that's what good tragedies does. And again, sometimes you only make a choice because it's not a dilemma. So good strategies will also make choices where it's not a dilemma. It sounds very uh, almost Taoist, like Wu Wei. You know, we have to have weakness to have strength and growth to have decline. And it's hard for us in the West to kind of get our heads around this. So let's dig in a, a little bit then. One of your big ideas that at least I appreciate is this process you have for reconciling these dilemmas. Could you walk us through that? Yeah. First of all, and we have six steps, it is identify the right dilemma. And it's not always easy because life doesn't come always easily with dilemmas. My wonderful colleague, Charles Hamden Turner says, think dilemmas. And if you think dilemmas, then suddenly you say, oh, on the one hand, on the other hand. So identify the right one. Then chart dilemma, which we call cracking the line, because normally in our brain, we think it is two extremes, a dilemma, yeah, like global, local. Like on an x-axis. Yes. And if you crack the line, you make it x and y-axis, it's an invitation to combine. Then the third step is what are the positives and the negatives of the x-axis? So what is positive about global and what is negative about global? And then what is positive about local and what is negative about local? And then you have set the stage to summarize the positions you don't want to be. So if you have the dual axis, and we call that step number four, define the epithets. And the epithets are labels for position 110. Like that's global at the cost of local. It's a bit like my way or the highway. You may choose any color as long as it's black. You know, When you're saying 110, you're using XY coordinates on this two by two. Yes, exactly. And 10-1, the opposite there, the other extreme, local at the cost of global, is the Tower of Babel. And then also the compromise, 5-5, five, five, is a bit like it's half pregnant, you know? Whilst the 10-10, where you want to go, is step number five, is the question, what can we do locally to be more global? And what can we do globally to be more local? And, and that is something like sharing best local practices, combine best local practices into next practices, which you then globalize. And that is five, reconciling the dilemma. And then six, how are we getting there? So it's an action plan for the steps you need to take. For example, one step is what behaviors and values do we need to develop to support that reconciliation? Uh, those are the six steps. Now, the short version of it is what is the dilemma? Ask the question how X can help you with Y and what actions do we need to take? 
And I think that's all about good strategy. There's a story that I've heard you tell about this car accident. Do you mind sharing that with us? No, for sure. We have done research on, on national differences. And one of the questions that held for now 35 years of research, because many questions work in the Netherlands and work in America, and they don't work in Japan. Oh, we have to change it. Now, this question has been quite successful. So you're riding in a car driven by a close friend of yours. Your friend is speeding, let's say, 30 miles an hour in an area where you can drive 20 miles an hour, and he hits a pedestrian. You know your friend was driving 30 miles an hour in an area where you're allowed to go 20. You come to court and the lawyer of your friend says, don't worry, you're the only witness. Two questions. What is the right of your friend to expect you to lie for him or her? And the second question is, would you lie, yes or no? Now, I ask multicultural groups, and mostly my audience is multicultural because of the nature of my job, and I ask them, would you like to be in this situation? And there is nobody ever that raised the hand and said, nice situation to be in. I ask why, and they say, it's a dilemma. And it doesn't matter if you are American, if you are Dutch, Nigerian, or Japanese. People think this is a dilemma. Why? Because every human being in the world would say, I want to help friends. But at the same time, they say, but we have something with the truth. So the dilemma is human. But then you look at our research, and in our research, it is wonderful because we see complete different answers. So, for example, 92% of the Americans say, my friend has no right or some right, and I will not help, while 32% in Venezuela say the same. And most Protestants are on the 70% plus. In France, it starts to be 60. The Catholics, uh, God wasn't looking and he will understand that we help our friend. And if they don't understand it, we'll go for confession. And then you end up in Venezuela. So you see, the dilemma is human, but the answers are cultural. So in fact, culture is the way we approach dilemmas. And it gives foreground and background. Although the dilemma is human, but it depends on your culture, what you give priority. Now, there are cultures who believe that values are important to create consistency. So I was with a financial firm who had integrity as their main value, obviously, because they didn't have it. I said, how does the value of integrity help you to give the correct answer? But you are in a multicultural team. And there was this American who said, uh, sorry, Mr. Trompenas, I lost you. How can you have integrity and lie? And good friends will in with integrity would never ask me to lie. There was a Korean in the room who said, sorry, John, I disagree. How can you have integrity if you don't help your friend? And this was a big financial firm, 60 people in the room, representing 40 nationalities. Everybody in the room understood both. Because if this is a dilemma, you both understand that integrity is about telling the truth. But at the same time, you understand that integrity is about helping friends. Now, integrity is creating wholeness through the integration of opposites, which is the essence of dilemma reconciliation. And I'm saying this because the problem is not in the lack of intelligence of people when I say, how does integrity help you to give the correct answer? It is my question that doesn't allow the Japanese answer. In Japan, they said, Mr. Trumpenhaus, our option is not on the list. What we would do in Japan, we would use our friendship to convince our friend to tell the truth in court himself so we can talk to the judge to praise 
our friend for the honesty and his courage to tell the truth in court, to lower the sentence. Now, that is integrity is not do we go for the friend or for the truth, but what can we do with our friendship to get the truth? You connect friendship with the truth. And that is the essence of what strategy should be. Absolutely. And I can see that when you first go through the first step of recognizing the dilemma, it feels like there's no way out because you're on the line, just the X line. And it takes something to step out and see the two-dimensionality of it. Exactly. Exactly. My gosh, I have many questions and the implications of this are significant, both socially, government, companies, family, um, but we are running to the end of our time together. So let me ask you, what are you working on now? And then where can people go to learn about and apply what you are sharing? My latest work Mm -hmm. is on tax across cultures. Harmonization of tax, you know, like in Europe, where more people are moving so much now, now not nowadays, but but they they have moved a lot, and you get uh, and even you know money is flowing everywhere. So there is a need for harmonization of tax, and one of the big hindrances is that people experience tax, the payment of fifty percent of your income. You know, if you add it all up, it's very highly influenced the experience of paying tax by culture. VAT versus non-VAT, sales tax, direct tax, indirect tax. We did a lot of research on our cultural dimensions. We have seven and how that dictates indirect tax, direct tax, and what have you. And we found an interesting set of correlations. I'll give you some examples in a second. But the highest correlation we found is that people who pay most tax are more happy. So the title of the book might become Pay Tax, Be Happy. It's interesting. Now be careful with the causal relationship. And and there are some exceptions, like the French pay a lot of tax, but are not very happy in the World Happiness Index. And then you look a bit further and you see that there is also a variable called, do you trust the institutions that collect tax? And in France, it's very low. But if you combine high tax with trust in the institutions, like in the Nordics in Europe, People are very happy. Another and last example, there is a tax philosophy called earmark tax, which means that if you collect the tax by, for example, gasoline, you should spend it on mobility so that the income of tax is also spent in the same area. Now, that correlates very highly with a dimension of culture called specific versus diffuse. In Japan, which are very diffuse, there's hardly any earmark tax. Now, that will be the book where we also talk about but how you do you reconcile the dilemmas between nations when they have a different experience about tax. Th- that's what we're working on at the moment. And it's amazing. There's hardly any literature on it. While half of our money is done through taxes. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think your work for me has always been about surfacing these things that we aren't aware of that are beyond our consciousness. Where can people go to either work with you or learn from you or apply a tool of yours to? I'm very open to help. So our our website is thdconsulting.com. We're very happy to help people. Yeah, and you have some excellent tools, assessments, and very practical processes to reconcile these dilemmas. Yeah, we just, and it's a free, it's called the the COVID-19 Resilience Mm -hmm. App. And we're now gradually going into the recovery app, namely, you know, we we now know that some cultures are more resilient to the pandemic than others. 
and it's the seven dilemmas of the pandemic, like IQ versus EQ, health versus economy, and what have you. But we have to think differently than making a choice. Your work is hugely important, and I appreciate you spending some time to unpack parts of it. And I highly encourage people to go to the website and familiarize yourself with it, because both it's practical, but it's important for society. Thank you. Very welcome, Kay, and a pleasure to be interviewed by you. Thank you. Thank you to our guest. Thank you to our producer, Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers. Thinkers.